you guys need to decide when you're ready to take on the challenge because I think you might need a bit more than four weeks as Ashley mentioned there but let's get it done beforehand I love your confidence but you haven't got a hope OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app just a slight tangent on, on that <laughs> this, was a, this is far too much of a tangent just a brief interruption can I also say one more thing on this? Okay. But uh, we also need to impose some rules. Like, we can't just have 20 minute tangents over a text. Come on. This is refusal to consider the circumstances. I'm not going to entertain that, Joe. This conversation is not a good one, I think. Do we argue much? No. Right, we keep them inside. They're fester. <laughs> <laughs> See, I thought this was a ridiculous text until I read the top three, and then I thought, Do you know what? Oh, yeah. I'd actually debate that with you. <laughs> it is an interesting. Sorry, it's not an interesting question, but. Uh, <laughs> Let's make that clear. <laughs> I love the sound of a snooker referee counting up the score. Oh, welcome. Here we go. A slight tangent for the ninth week in a row. Very happy to say that the team have assembled, the dream team indeed. Willow Dunahoo, hello to you. Willow Dunahoo. Do you the, wish. You've now done the oh complete God. opposite. <laughs> Sorry. That's no, okay, Joe. I my, do that to Percal like three times a month. <laughs> Willow Dunahoo. Willow Dunahoo's a good one though, yeah. Michael Dignan did the complete opposite of that when Willow Dunahoo hit a point for Limerick and he went, Willow Callaghan, full oh. shot. <laughs> The worst that's, a, that's, a, that's brilliant that's a, what, what a moment in your life I was talking to the lads and typing at the same time what, but Willow and Dunahoo it just, it just came like, out no I couldn't tell Alan's you Alan's not fit he's not going to be there for the weekend I couldn't tell you Willow Callahan. you're very welcome how are you Joe God God that would be some break from Limerick's uh, Limerick's media ban wouldn't it the fun, <laughs> <laughs> the fun of the week of the all the fun of the slight tangent for an hour mm. <laughs> he's more than welcome Will if you're listening uh, Michael McCarthy hello to you I'd probably take Darrow Donovan ahead of him yeah, Arthur O'D in Spend the house more. hello Arthur hello Joe uh, shout out by the way our favourite YouTube comment of the last number of weeks came from Tony K 3233 and a lot of people enjoyed it as well he said I'm on holidays with my girlfriend and she just said this podcast is more exciting than this holiday for you she's right said Tony people enjoyed that which was good and then we had another one and this comes with a photo by the way as well so dear Joe and Co long time first time so you see there <laughs> up. while on holidays we can leave the photo up while on holidays in Milan I was sightseeing with my girlfriend but McElroy was in contention down the stretch in the final round of the Scottish Open I needed to watch the last few holes I decided to watch the final moments in the Duomo di Milano Cathedral see picture which is of course an extremely sacred and holy place to the disapproval of my girlfriend. <laughs> he so likes that one. What we have there is a picture of Stephen from Cork watching Rory McIlroy win the Scottish Open in uh, the Milan Cathedral. It made me it. think about the most inappropriate places that you've watched key sporting moments. And I thought it would be an interesting discussion. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Keep up the good work. Best wishes, Stephen from Cork. I'd struggle to say that's a key sporting moment to win with. <laughs> the Scottish Open is <laughs> a key sport. <laughs> Yeah, or any sporting moment, maybe. Yeah, so I don't know. I've nothing... Um, it's impressive. I can't, I can't remember if I've ever watched anywhere, somewhere, anything. Like, I've like I've definitely ditched weddings and stuff. Like, uh, like a wedding is almost, like, accepted. The fo- Like, the phone thing is relatively new to me, though. Like, having good quality stuff on my phone is, isn't... Yeah. Like, I've only... Like, I watched... I watched all of the Clare and Limerick game in the championship this year standing out in the freezing cold at outside a restaurant slash pub where I was at a 40th for the night and literally spent the entire oh, two hours of the game and people would come out in and out to try to check the score with me and stuff like that but yeah. I was literally outside for the entire time What kind of 40 were you at Mick that didn't have this on TV? I know it was There was no game. TV G-A and it was GA Go Will but we'll get into that another day Will and <laughs> I spent I spent a good chunk of my wife's <laughs> birthday was, recently RTE you say <laughs> I spent a good chunk of my wife's birthday recently watching uh, our man Monaghan on the... <laughs> oh, he could have missed that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was going to penalties. Well, another we got key, to the pub in time for the penalties. Another key sporting event. It was just there <laughs> sitting on the sitting on the table as we were kind of enjoying our dinner. The but it was more than two people there. It was a, it was yeah. A Does anyone have any great stories they want to share? Ah, nothing no. like that. The, the wedding situation, I think, is an interesting one. I, I think every wedding table now has the f- so, uh, people, plural, have phones out. Once it's not during the speeches... I think I think like, if it was your wedding and people are watching yeah a match you can't do it during the speeches as you're trying to give a speech that you're nervous about and means a lot to you then 
it's not great. But I dare say it happens all the time. What kind of animal, Joe, would have the speeches in the middle of an important sporting event anyway? <laughs> like, genuinely, you spend most kind of your time animal. waiting for the speeches to happen at a wedding anyway. So you can kind of leave that off for a little bit. Yeah. If you know there's an important game and it's on the TV and you've already noticed that people either have their phones on the table or they're going out to the front bar to look at the TV screen, you don't start your best man's speech and your dad's speech then. It's tough, though. I mean, you're sticking to a schedule. I mean... You paid a lot of money to the hotel. No, you can make I your agree. own schedule. I think the sports should. We, <laughs> we, put a, we put a sporting event on the running order of our wedding. It was literally there as part of the day. Which one was it, Mick? Uh, Munster and Toulon in the uh, Champions Cup quarter final. It was Toulouse. Toulouse. Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't really watching it. I was getting married that day. But. I was bloody watching it. <laughs> um, but to, be, <laughs> to be fair, though, that was like a perfectly timed after the wedding we're in the reception part because it was a three or four o'clock kickoff mm. done by quarter past five. Yeah. And then we're to dinner. Now, I don't think somehow if Munster were playing Toulouse at six or seven, it would have been as an integral part. We would have made sure that people were able to watch it. Even during the speeches. Yeah, a lot of Munster fans at that wedding. Now, just and not because of any great concern for them, but of like Will's point, you know, he's like, you, you want to make sure that like, you know, people are, are there in the moments you need them to be there for. Yeah. I think it must turn out as an awful shock to a lot of prospective people getting married if they're not sports fans, if their partner is or their friends are, and they turn to them and say, you know what's on the day of your wedding? <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. Oh, the shock that, that it would somehow matter as well. You know, I, I'd imagine, I, it, I imagine even before you get to the friends, I imagine some of the internal conversations between, uh, you know, well, future isn't, partners isn't, isn't Killian Buckley getting married this week or something literally getting married on Saturday <laughs> which is unfortunate <laughs> he booked his wedding he thought and Kerry let the cat out of the bag on the show here a couple of weeks ago but he thought at the time the All-Ireland final was at a different date and he thought he had sandwiched it perfectly into the calendar yeah. uh, come what may doesn't matter even if we're in the All-Ireland final it's either going to be quite a distance away from the semi-final doesn't really matter Jeez. and then the schedule changed by a couple of weeks and here we are and if you're stuck with a booking I presume the hotel are not going to go well you're in the All-Ireland final no problem push it this back is back. unbelievable Killian Buckley is getting married on Saturday and playing in the All-Ireland final on Sunday yeah it's old school which wow. means his former teammates are going for a particularly dry reception still because they'll be going to the game. Current players will be there. And I think Wally Walsh gets married next week as well, so just afterwards, when Jeez, I, I, they could I, be in the midst of the celebration. I mean, well, that's listen, fine. It, it, the very best to look to them and they have a great day. But I mean, if you're Derek Lynn, you're thinking, God, that's a lot of time on your feet if you're players. I mean, like, you're generally shattered the day after a wedding. Like, admittedly, you've been up till four and drinking. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also like you're shattered by five or six. I mean, you want to put the feet up, don't you? It's a long old day. Mm. Yeah. Does that like change the know. handicap in favour of Limerick a bit? They're a lot fitter than we are. I cut, yeah. <laughs> well, they're finely tuned. I mean, I would think they generally rest the day before. I wonder nothing. if you bring the speeches and stuff forward on that one to let the lads who are involved the next day go off about their business. Yeah, maybe. They'll have the dinner at half eight in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Clean run. Honestly. <laughs> off to the foam rollers there, If I'm Derek Ling. I presume they're going up on the day as well. They're not staying they're in Dublin, are they? Yeah. Hey, I'm turning up at that wedding and getting everybody out of there by three. Yeah. It's an unusual one. Oh and also, goodness. neither team are staying in Dublin. Has to be the first time in a long time that the TV cameras won't be in a Dublin hotel mm. after what happens this coming Sunday. So both are going straight back. On the so night? Yeah. So I think Limerick's plan is they're going to have a homecoming on Monday if they do the four in a row. And Kilkenny are already planned they're going to Langton's for a meal and they're staying in the city on the evening. But you're so used to Burlington and City West, but City West is out of commission for the teams at the moment because nice. it's uh, been used as a centre for refugees. And I think um, Limerick were unable to find a venue when they were looking for one a few weeks ago after the semi-finals. So. Really? Mm. So you'd have about 80 it. people that you'd need to I guess so. pull up these days, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, that's just a minimum. I, w I remember working for the Donegal All-Ireland win in 2012 in the hotel, like, where the thing was. It was oh, an right. enormous Sorry. night. For a second, I thought you'd been part of the Donegal backroom stand. Yeah, <laughs> just get that quiet. Guinness's <laughs> backroom team. 2012. <laughs> <laughs> I just packed it in. Too much stress. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it does take a little bit of tradition, even the the trip to the children's hospital the next day from the the hotel, the idea of fans turning up the morning afterwards to see who actually emerges at yeah. half seven or eight o'clock to the media interviews and whatever else. It's all changed. Like, yeah. sorry, Kilkenny going to Langton's like is like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like renowned for how good it is, but they go there after training every night. Like, I mean, that's where they have their like, that's where they're going. Like, there's something a bit lacking in specialness about that, isn't there? Mm. Yeah. That's like it's famously worked at Kenny Go. Literally after every training session they go for their meal in Langton's. Mm. 
Limerick going to a dare manor. <laughs> Slightly different. Not oh, they're there, there. That's not they're there after training true. every week as well. <laughs> there's a chance. Tell them sent you when they turn up. And are, are both teams coming up the morning of the final? I think so. Limerick as well? I think so. Kilkenny definitely are. Yeah. I know Paul Murphy was telling us that. that right. Okay. The plan is Buckley wedding, get to bed at a reasonable hour, get the bus the next day. They have a much shorter trip as well. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Or price Buckley man the match on Sunday. Yeah. Evening lads, like most people, my perception of Deli Ali dramatically changed over the weekend after watching his interview with Gary Neville. But should we all take this as a lesson in not being overly harsh or critical of athletes? Don't get me wrong. Like Joe, I'm a sucker for the clickbait YouTube video titles of Simon Jordan slams X or Y or Z player. But really, I think the whole culture of the way athletes are talked about should change. It shouldn't take us finding out about something horrific happening in someone's childhood for us to feel sympathy for a player. I know a lot will say they're grown adults in elite sport, they should just get on with it. But I just even wonder if slating a player even adds anything valuable to sporting discourse in the first place. Would love to hear your thoughts. Oran Brennan from Cork, but living in Finland. Still turning tuning in daily. Come on, Oran. Over in Finland. Nice part of the world. Worldwide sure. endeavour here. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, my, it's uh, on the interview itself. I had the, the very unusual experience, I think, of uh, seeing it pop up on Thursday morning uh, before any articles had been written about some of the headline aspects of it and probably uh, should give a uh, trigger warning of sorts here because obviously uh, the Delhi Ali interview delved into very difficult uh, terrain. So if you're, if you're so inclined, maybe flick off the radio for a couple of minutes. But um, none of the video cells on the overlaps part, those parts where they clip things up. None of those, for instance, touch on the fact that he'd been molested as a child, uh, which is, you know, I, I think the appropriate thing to do. And so I'd seen the less dramatic cells, but obviously they would they suggested it was going to be um, an emotional interview. And so then I watched it and it was one of those rare experiences where you had no idea this was coming. And it was a, oh, and I like, I, I Gary Neville was, clearly shocked by it as well and he had that sudden moment of putting his hand to his face and um, getting very emotional very quickly um, so it was like this kind of awful stunning moment of my god you know jaw hitting the floor which is quite unusual in interviews these days um, and he came across incredibly well yeah Dali Ali it, it is dreadful he felt he had to hasten how quickly he wanted to do the interview on account of being rumbled by tabloids so to Oren's point, I mean, you can't disagree with it. I, I, we are at a point, I suppose, where we've no excuse as sports journalists for going OTT on players. And at the same time, this weird thing where I feel like we're all fighting against homogenized, boring, say nothing punditry as well, which is creeping in. So mm. I think I think it's at a very interesting place that issue that Oren raises, I feel I've never been more acutely aware of the mental health and the, the the likely potential for something to be going on in a player's personal life when analysing the performance. And yet at the same time, I've also never been more aware that actually if we don't have honest conversations and, and, and talk about sport the way we might be inclined to talk about a sporting performance off air as well, as doing it on air, then I think, what are we in this for? What are we doing? And uh, that's quite a, that's a very difficult line to walk, I'm finding. Yeah, I, I don't know though, because I think they're two different things really. Like, I mean, the criticism of Deli Ali as a football player since, you know, Pochettino left Spurs, <clears throat> I think is quite legitimate. And I don't think it would ever get to the point where it's like sensationalist enough that would, you know, necessarily even bother him too much. I think when it becomes too much is that we automatically go down, we don't, but like the like there's an automatic like tabloid driven sensationalism to these things and it's like oh here he is again, 100 <coughs> excuse me, 100,000, you know, a week player out, you know, again or you know, drives a big car or you know, like the Raheem Sterling buys his um, mother, a new mother a new house like or whatever you know and it's like written in this kind of derogatory way I think that's when you kind of things can get out of hand and I think with someone like Deli Ali where we're all guilty of it is 
taking it a little bit at face value. So I wouldn't pay any attention to any of those things. I can't remember anything specific about him. But as his football career, uh, you know, kind of went off the radar somewhat, like, I'd be vaguely aware, again, without remembering anything specific, of, like, his life going off the rails as well and him being kind of like, you know, ah, he's a waster. Do you know, like, is it like ah, we, he won't be back. Like, I mean, it's, that, it's almost enough, you know, without even thinking of it. Honestly, not conscious thought, but almost thinking, like, there's something almost funny about it. Like, you know, of this guy who, you know, was so good and just, like, just, he didn't have it mentally like he just wasn't able to to handle the lifestyle or whatever but then you don't even think for a second and it was only when I was watching that I was like I know this guy's voice I know what he sounds like and I was thinking do you know it's something as silly as this but he was on a series of celebrity goggle box with him and Eric Dyer who are really good mates he mentions Dyer a good bit in the uh, in the interview with Neville and Daddy Ali came across really well on that. Like, really well. He came across, he was like, he was quite emotional at times. He was very funny. And he just came across as a young, smart, together guy, right? Mm -hmm. And then I almost just forgotten about that. And I didn't like him on the Amazon show, on mm -hmm. the Mourinho season of Spurs. And he came across, he was throwing temper tantrums after every match. And, you know, he just seemed like a bit of a baby or whatever. So you kind of just, again, you're not spending too much time thinking about all these guys, but it's only when you watch that interview and you're thinking to yourself like god yeah like i absolutely it's to the to the point it's like it's not about slamming him for football it's almost buying into a it's buying into this sort of idea that people are writing about these people's lives in a way that again you don't really focus on you're not analyzing it but you kind of buy you know and i think that's where we could totally do better and i don't think that needs joe for us to stop kind of having honest conversations about the sporting side of it. Yeah. I suppose um, recently Phil Jones did an interview where he came out and talked at length about how damaging the media criticism of him was and then by extension how he was just a joke on the internet. Yeah. I suspect in about three or four years we will be reading Harry Maguire sits down with Jonathan Northcroft to talk about how difficult the last year and I suspect the next couple of years are going to be for him. And so like when I, you know, <laughs> Simon Jordan or somebody criticizes player like that's Phil Jones, that's Harry Maguire. What about that kind of criticism? I, I think make your point is probably a specific one. The Sterling, uh, like he, certainly he uh, probably justifiably felt there was a racial connotation to the way he was written about. But what about just the more general way we talk about players, i.e. Deli Ali plays terribly for Everton and he gets hammered for his performance. Is that still uh, alive and well? And, 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 and it, like, it, it should be alive and well in our sporting I discourse? I don't think it is because it's, a, it's, it's Roy Keane's point of difference. So I suppose part of the reason he stands out, like he's obviously given Harry Maguire no shortage of kind of critical assessments for better or worse from his perspective. But that's, that's why I think he stands out so much because he's so blunt about it. It doesn't, um, and God only knows what effect that has, though. Mm. I can't imagine. Like, like if you think about what Sahar Maguire, fantastic World Cup in 2018, gets in team at a tournament, and pretty much ever since then, it's just been kind of a laughing stock rolling to the point now where he's stripped of the captaincy. And I, you don't necessarily want to draw a correlation directly between Johnny Evans coming back in. He's not going to. He's not taking Maguire's position as such. But at the same time. It probably is indicative of something that that position needs more depth around it because Harry Maguire is not... So that whole run for him has been horrific. But at the same time, what's very hard to kind of balance is the fact that it is something of a meritocracy. And I suppose if you get tossed into a situation where you're not capable of handling it because inevitably he's playing for Man United or something like that will bring pressures that are just inevitable and inescapable. And if you can't handle it, it's not a, it's not a criticism of him but like you're 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 leaving yourself open to that i think that's probably something we don't factor in a lot when we're thinking about it. it's just the exposure you're at. you how much you expose yourself mm -hmm. i definitely remember years ago i don't know where the interview was but it was with ben foster obviously another former man united keeper who i think as well there was there was something from i'm paraphrasing it but something to the effect that i think he quite enjoyed cooking or something and it was kind of like even the idea i think to certain teammates or whatever of having 
extracurricular uh, activities or hobbies was just kind of the antithesis of what it was. If you're a Man United, this is your life. Mm. And it is kind of the way you see when they talk about it, those ex-players now who were there for a long period of time. Yeah. It's all they talk about. Like, I think on Doran's email, there's definitely a rush after a Deli Alley interview to make the point he has made about being more careful how you talk about players. I think it's then quickly forgotten. And so on Maguire, <coughs> there's one like the playing side. But even if you take Roy Keane when he did the impersonation of Harry Maguire's post-match apologies, yeah. Arthur's reaction there is what everyone did. Found it hilarious. I don't know if I found it hilarious, but it's just in terms it, of... I think most people did. It's and it was, it's, yeah, it's, we, it's like, amazing it happens. Yeah, <laughs> the, the masses kind of loved it, I think it's, it's fair to say. Like, I don't remember a great, ah, now, listen, we don't know what's going on in Harry's life. Let's take it easy on him. Backlash. I don't remember that if it happened. No. And it, it it is kind of weird how things have been playing out in the social media age, particularly around Maguire as well. Like, I don't know how you guys felt, but I thought it was a bit weird that there was a statement coming out about him being stripped of the captaincy. Generally, if you're going to have an announcement about this, and like Manchester United shared Harry Maguire's comments, and it was obviously yeah. pre-planned in that way by the looks of it, is that you would appoint the new captain and you would announce that the new captain has now replaced it. So Bruno Fernandes is the new captain yeah, of Manchester United. And it wouldn't be about Harry Maguire losing the captaincy. And even when Manchester United's players went through that spell, where it is a little bit weird that they put up apologies afterwards. And like, I kind of agreed with Roy Keane to an extent where he goes, no one cares about the apologies you're sticking up online. Go out and perform better in the next game. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can you come in here and can we sit here and talk and say so-and-so was rubbish, like so bad. And then at every turn say, obviously, we have to be cognizant. We don't know what's going on in their personal lives or what's happened to them previously. So that could be affecting their performance. The performance you know, on the pitch is surely fair game, though. Right. Well, that's what Oren's asking though is but it? if it becomes it? if they become a joke figure like Maguire or Phil Jones or whatever Dali Ali absolutely up until this week mm-hmm. was in that if everybody if anybody even thought of him anymore but uh, where does money come into it so I, I like I mean Dali Ali made a really good point in that interview that it was like you look he said it like, and it was very I thought it was poignant that he was talking to Neville as opposed to an interview he's like you know what I mean here you can have all the money in the world but you don't understand what that pressure is like the pressure of having to perform every week and so on. But at the same time, is like the reason there's such interest and the reason they're getting all that money is because, you know, everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody has an opinion. And if you do keep things between the lines, you know, there's no getting away from. Like, that's, that is part of the job. Yeah. And if you're not able for it, as Arthur points out, you know, then... You're not able. You're not able for it. You know what I mean. It's a, It isn't just about football talent and fitness and preparation anymore. You need to be able to handle the pressure, and you know that absolutely comes into it. And I think when people do have like mental health issues or whatever, and they're open about it, I think people are, you know, media included, are very supportive about mm-hmm. that and so on. But we can't just assume that everybody is struggling and therefore not talk about what's happening in a game that we're talking about, or else, or else, what are we doing? I suppose is the yeah, question. But I, I, I'm asking myself that a lot lately. What are we doing here? What is the right balance? You know, I'm, I'm definitely leaning towards. But if we weren't being doing more, being less um, critical because of you, we're talking about people, Graham. But if we're not having an honest conversation about the game, and yeah. you're saying like, what, then I don't think we're doing our job properly. And if, if what are we doing because it's not as important as people's mental health or so, then, Grand, maybe that's maybe maybe this this is all nonsense, but. If we weren't doing this, then there wouldn't be any, there wouldn't be any uh, hundred thousand a week players. Do you know, it's all part of the same cycle. Yeah. You know, and it is kind of what you sign up for, and it is the dream. I know it's it's difficult though because I was even it's funny me and uh, John Duggan was in on Sunday. We were talking about this thing because we were chatting about the Delhi Alley interview, off air, and I was even saying to him, I I kind of even think how many times on Monday night rugby and Wednesday night rugby. Have we like rolled out pundits and because it's a small rugby country, like how many times have I had to pose the question, you know, is Ross Byrne closing the gap in Sexton? Ross Byrne as Ireland's number 10, can you see that? Where is Ross Byrne? Asked a million different ways and a million different times coming back at me. It's probably not an answer that Ross Byrne wants to hear, if, you know, in the main. Oh God, like it doesn't warrant that you know I kind of think God it's 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 a lot for a human being to have to deal with all that talk he just wants to play his rugby get on with his life and all this noise on the outside is 
is very difficult for him. But that's not a real thing. Like, I mean, we think we have to be a little bit careful in these, you know, these, like, I, I very, very happy that we're a lot more cognizant of mental health than we used to be in this country and in the world. But we have to be careful about, like, trying to make people exist outside of a real world as well. Mm. Do you know what no, I mean? No, I like, Ross, Ross Byrne plays in a professional sport that is that has is of the public interest and is going to be talked about and his job is in the most important position in that and that is part of the gig yeah. and it's not nice to be here, here, here like I'm sure we look and we're using him as an example we don't know anything about Ross Byrne but this is, could be applied to any sport and any sports person it is part of the gig and you have to be able to handle it in a certain way it's never going to be nice mm. but if the, the way to answer it is to put your head down and ignore it and you know you need to be able to do that as well sure. like, yeah. it's funny you, you mentioned money I think because I suspect somebody will text in pretty soon would you say, would you say about GA players because they're amateur versus well that's what I'm thinking what about someone like Aidan O'Shea right if you remove say Ross Burns so there's a degree of the understanding there there's a lot you know whatever it's professional it's professional sports there's yeah. commercial requirements there's everything else but someone like Aidan O'Shea for instance who's been maybe more so than any player in the last 10 years the target of more scorn yeah like not necessarily always from media like it might be a bit more nuanced or balanced there but in general some in the media give him a hard for sure. time oh, well you know, there's yeah. one particular person in the media gives him an awful hard time yeah but um, like it doesn't so that's that's grand you could almost compartmentalise that a little bit but like in general so I'd, it's funny with that he, I, I don't think you can say in the same way he's necessarily signed up for that mm. yeah like, Except for that he does play a public sport for his county and he doesn't have to do it. Well, you do a I, public facing job. Yeah. If you were getting, say, Would feed, I like feedback. it? No, but would I see it as like, you know, it, you know that's like... A, Mick gets tons. <laughs> well, I don't, but you do. And like, I mean, a lot of, like, I mean, that is, you do. Like, I mean, you see the bloody text that come into the rest of the, you know, people on News Talk. It is part of the gig. You yeah. can ignore it. You can make sure you don't hear it. By the way, I think an awful lot of sports people are very good at that. Mm. An awful lot of sports people who know what they're doing do not hear it. Yeah. They don't let it in. They're not listening to off the ball to hear the analysis on Monday Night Rugby after they played badly or even well, I would say, mm. the night before, you know. So, sorry, it's it's part of the gig. And, like, it is absolutely different with money. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of it that is unfair, I'm not denying that. Well, but at the yeah. same time, why, why if you're Aidan O'Shea, money? you're playing for Mayo, you know what you're doing. You're, it's like, it's also like, we can talk about the rights and wrongs of it. It's just the way it is. Yeah, Are you telling me that fans, that Mayo fans aren't going to stop having arguments about Aidan O'Shea in public because it's the wrong thing to do? Mm. It's the way that it is though, right? And this is slightly confusing. <clears throat> the way that it is, that format, say, of talking about sport and engaging with sport predates maybe some modern sensibilities for what people are mm. going through. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily have to stay that way, if you know what I mean. Yeah. No, I don't want, at the same time, nobody wants just cold analysis of... But what is the analysis? Yeah, of, I, if Joe's but, not asking if Ro like where Ross Byrne is in the pecking order and the pundit doesn't answer honestly, mm. then, you know, the... That's nothing to do with sensibilities. Like that's part of the conversation. Oh, we're about, out of a gig then. You know. No, we're just, honestly, we're not talking. That's what I'm saying. What are we doing here? Like, if we're not doing that, I know. But even yeah. with Deli Ali, if you weren't privy to what happened behind the scenes and what he was dealing with in his life, and even like he mentions in the interview with Gary Neville that even in 2018, in 2018, when he was playing remarkably well, he was one of England's main players at the World Cup. He was becoming addicted to sleeping pills, and he was having to deal with a lot of issues in his life at the time. If we're not privy to that. Would you, you'd have to criticise Deli Ali's performances between, say, 2018 and last year and the fall off in his yeah, career. Like, naturally, you yeah, would say, would, yeah. how has this guy gone from the point where he's one of Tottenham's most important players, gets to a Champions League final, mm. to playing in Turkey and even not playing that regularly in Turkey? Mm. Like, you wouldn't be doing your job if you were no. to invent some kind of backstory. As you couldn't to, say it's going well. No. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's, it's, I, it's I think, is there anyone here who didn't accept a certain amount of when you saw the interview with Jose Mourinho on the Tottenham documentary? I reckon we were all guilty of thinking, you know what, maybe Mourinho's right. He doesn't want to push it on to the next level. Maybe he doesn't have that drive to get there. Mm. And I think that was an narrative around Deli Ali for three or four years. That's probably a failure, though, on the part that most people don't understand how people work. And perhaps there's no sort of necessary thing you can do to understand a person or see with their actions. But people, there are people who are probably a little bit whatever 
educated in that way or whatever kind of can read people better and see how things are going and right well something's happening here that this isn't you know especially in sport where there probably is there probably are patterns for that Mm -hmm. so like uh, probably an awful lot of the issue comes from just armchair analysis of what's happening he's playing bad he's crap he must have a useless attitude done yeah yeah, which, I, it would like, which isn't the case. And probably, to be honest with you, that's the, the biggest joke about this whole thing is that all of these guys are so elite and have overcome thousands, hundreds of thousands of people to get where they are. Yeah. The notion that they just have a bad attitude is ridiculous. It's impossible. It's impossible, yeah. But I, it's I, just crazy. I think we can also be, a, like, to, like, to your point, I do agree. You could be a bit more nuanced and better at it. Like, I always, one of those things is somebody, like, isn't getting the most out of their potential. There's always this glib, you know, oh, like Mourinho will get the best out of him. You know, this sort of idea that somebody is just fixable by, like it was always Bill Belichick in, in NFL. Like, you know, if, uh, if, a, if a crazy kind of like guy who's always in trouble with the NFL and the police and everything like that, don't worry, he'll go to the Patriots and Belichick will sort him out. Because like there's a magic wand to somebody's entire personality. Like, yes. you know, and we do that all the time and we all do it. Like yeah. we do it probably to different degrees. Yeah. But uh, we could all be better at that stuff, I would say. I'd hope to think we find a reasonable balance between having real conversations about performance, but also not going OTT. I'd like to think in in here, I mean, yeah, uh, that's what we're striving to do. But it is increasingly a more complicated arena, I find. Fair summation. OK, <laughs> thank you. We'll take a short break. We have more on a slight tangent in just a moment. Welcome back. This is a slight tangent. Willow Callahan. <laughs> O'Call is a column. O'Donnell, yeah. Michael McCarthy, Arthur O'Dea here in studio. We just, uh, well, we just kept talking during the ad break, as you might imagine. And Will, you were saying, well, what would we do if we were to have absolute care over every piece of analysis? And I, I was saying to you, I think we would literally have to come on, do the news round, and then at half seven say, we can't actually analyse the game because we don't have the depth of knowledge required here about what was going on behind the scenes to say anything with certainty. So we'll pause and come back to you at 10 when Tom Dunn's yeah. on the way. Ten, 10 past 7 because we wouldn't be able to do anything yeah. outside of the news in the news round either very little <laughs> like that's where we'd be like there is a degree of like we're all a bit blindfolded to what's going on and analysing performances and like then it turns out three weeks later yeah that player you were criticising was on one leg and it was a miracle they got through the game yeah so but we can't intimately know and wouldn't want to intimately know thousands of people and all their backstory yeah so it's, it's tricky we'll talk about sport and then you Arthur had the great example of the that Magic there, wand. that'll fix a very complicated problem. And it's still repeated to this day. Yeah. You can go, you're, you're more interested in talking about it. I was just giving it for your, uh, for your <laughs> okay. influence. I, it's not my point. Well, no, he actually made, it was the perfect example. I wish perfect I thought one. of it. It was Paul Gascoigne, if only he'd went to Manchester United and Alex Ferguson got his hands on him. Like, and I heard that, <laughs> I would say, two weeks ago. I know. Gaza. If only and Fergie had got him up to Manchester. And like people say it like it's a fact. I know. It's like crazy. it is a fact that Ferguson would have fixed Gaza. He'd have no problems today. He wouldn't be in a, he wouldn't have any personal issues whatsoever. It is so it's such a it's it's really it's actually insultingly glib. Yeah. To have that sort of like I was wondering to, when someone says that as well, like Ferguson, thing, Paul McGrath, Ferguson, Norman Whiteside, this kind of idea that Fergie can fix everything. Roy Keane has been pretty outspoken about Fergie as a man manager as well and the fact that he thought the clough was much better at understanding say the wider spectrum of yeah. players when uh, he says that out of spite I think <laughs> there is spite it's, it's, it's definitely that, yeah. driven by it's, spite so maybe it's Fergie a, wasn't able to manage his spite bit like Richard Key saying he thinks BT's offering is better <laughs> TNT Sports excuse me get yeah. on board Joe yeah. it's TNT I think as of tomorrow who did Ferguson fix ever well it's not that he fixed Cantona. but like Cantona Keane 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 had his problems he kept having them at United well, that's how he kept playing. He was kept player on playing. of the year before he signed for United. He was a record signing. No, he wasn't player. player I mean, Forrest player of the year. Yeah, yeah. but it was the same. No, relegated. Like, I, yeah, well, that like, wasn't his fault. He, Don't he, put that on Roy. If you think... But he was a record signing. They hardly was a mutually, them. It was a mutually beneficial relationship. There was a bidding war. I don't it know. Was, but, but like, you couldn't say, oh, geez, the, the second Roy arrived at Manchester, Ferguson had him straightened out. No, well, it took He's time. Picking him out of jail and stuff like six it years later. It took time when he was there, wasn't he? Six. It took time. <laughs> it was there. It took time. So went with the sweet spot when all was well. I'm just saying that it's like it's not. He obviously had a way. He had a knack of helping people. Yeah, but people need to be able to be helped. It isn't just a, this idea that like everybody is just. The problem is when you just assume everybody is fixable by just literally whatever method a manager happens to have that sure. works sometimes. You I know. think Gaza was a more complicated case than Roy. We're all agreeing on that. 
Yeah, yeah but I, I do think people have different ways about them. People do kind of know... Someone say in Ferguson, and I'm no fan of Ferguson at all, but like in terms of his um, Surprising. approach, yeah. he did seem to quite find a balance between who needed what. Well, I know, but I think... Oh, Ga- yeah, it's a good manager. Gaz has some fairly deep-rooted problems going back to childhood. No, I no, I know. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm not saying he... I'm not for a second saying that, that it's just it's all sorted out, but I don't necessarily think at the same time there's a certain logic to what was also said about moving to Manchester in whatever, whatever the, right to as opposed to London. Like so when when Gaza was at Everton, all was well or Middlesbrough. Well, I mean, the damage was somewhat done then. Well, yeah, it's like not it's like it's not, you know, <laughs> 10 years later. Like. Uh, we'll move on. We'll move on. Moving to Rome, like <laughs> Glasgow. Like Anyway. Hi, all. Long time, first time. My question is, if you were asked to ghostwrite a book, a year in the life of a sports person. Thus, you would have to spend most days with them, following them around, going to events, etc. Who would that person be and why? Keep up the great work. Darren, an interesting question. We don't spend too long on it. Anyone jump to your mind immediately? <laughs> the goal straight in part. No. Yeah, I definitely want to be an individual athlete rather than someone who's in a team environment. Yeah. I think anyone who's in an individual circumstance and particularly wouldn't want to get necessarily go for the very, very top sports person because I wonder how giving they would be when you go to write a book about them. So this is a, is this about how good the book will be or is this about yeah. how much time you want to spend with someone? Here, don't, uh, don't, I want the book to be good. I wouldn't want to about, go... Don't worry about the book. No, but I wouldn't want to ghostwrite for someone who would then turn around and not want any of the stories to actually get out. Oh, okay. Which the more famous they are, that's exactly what would happen. No, and enough. would affect the book as well. Fair like enough. ghostwriters fall out with their subjects. No, I get that. Okay, yeah, I, I was thinking it's of more this of a question more from a... <laughs> It's not an yeah. <laughs> Let me practical. Yeah. Very practical. Who wants a good book? I was thinking it more from like good a fake book. Who do I want a front row seat of and to hang out with? Okay. Less so than, geez, is Arthur going to like the book? So who, who are you hanging out with then? Sounds like you got someone in mind. Well, I, I don't really. The prospect of it, when you actually think about it, isn't that enticing, is it? No. It's a, you know, no just like, I don't mean to be like. I don't necessarily want to spend <laughs> too much time with any one individual, no matter who they are or what they've done in the for, game. But for the week that's in it, and because I think he's a very smart fella, decent, and he's just at an interesting point in his career. I think I'd, I'd follow McElroy for the next year. Mm. Oh yeah, Florida, California, Project, Barbados. Yeah. I'm Dubai. less concerned about the book. I like the locations. Lots of nice dinners and lunches. I'm having it in my contract. I do travel private with him. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously on the plane. I'm not Get going behind the rope at all the majors. Playing on the, the Wednesdays with him, maybe. <laughs> What's so funny about that? <laughs> Be great, written in. Why is, why is he so vulnerable in these terms? <laughs> he, he needs it, Joe. He needs it. <laughs> uh, but more than anything. He's at this unbelievably, it's a it's a it's a fork in the road point of his career where he's going to I feel either win a major and then go on and win several more, or I'm not sure to what extent he can endure a few more torrid Sundays, heartbreaking Sundays before that just limits him. Yeah, and so I I think the next year is fascinating for all those reasons and whichever way it goes, and I do really like him and I hope it goes towards six, seven, eight and nine majors and all time great career. But whichever way it goes, can be bloody interesting because the other way, I mean, the prodigy, the kid who gets a head start of four majors, which is a Hall of Fame career in uh, most other people's lives and then doesn't win another one for the next 20. Oh, mm. so yeah, I think there's a book in that. I am drawn to the idea as well, Joe, of him walking out of the creepy cabin, just giving you a little nod along the way that you were the difference maker <laughs> being with them every week yeah. green jackets for you baby yeah and it was a good, uh, the only thing if you're going to is it going to be ghost written so it's going to be his book or are you going to do a Wright Thompson style I'm hanging around with you and I'm writing the piece yes. I, I would prefer to do the, the latter, latter as yeah. opposed to ghost write it the former's going to be you no don't get good. any credit with the former zero no one can remember your Man Road Agassiz and Prince Harry's book no he Prince remembers Harry's book. Prince Harry's book yeah I'd really recommend it Keep going on I, I nearly got it actually on Audible there recently. <laughs> if, you, if you like the Agassiz book, you like the Prince Harry book. Not a sentence I thought I'd ever say, but <laughs> there's a logic there. Same guy wrote both. Yeah. Ah. So like this guy, two pretty diverse subjects. Mo Ringer, is that his name? He's generally yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. the Tender Bar. He wrote his, his own biography. He's generally regarded as the best in the business when it comes to ghostwriting. Okay. And so Prince Harry went out and got the best, and he took. I mean, some people are not too sympathetic to Harry's story or interested in it. He took whatever that was and turned it into something very interesting, compelling. I'm telling you, bounces along. 
you come back to me in a few weeks. I'm like, this is I'll the audio book. My, my next audio book credit, yeah. Anyone want to give me a name? No, could I could come back on the McElroy thing for two seconds, though, because I was mentioning uh, to you before, and I'm probably banging on about this, that I'm uh, reading or listening to Shipnook's book on Mickelson. But the mad thing about, like, we do forget how hard it is to win a major and how much that can just become a thing over time like you know so Mickelson obviously came on tour in like 1992 and was like threatening majors and was like winning on tour every year and was one of the best players in the world and didn't win until 2004 mm. and he was the best player to never win a major and two years later in 2006 he was going he should have won the US Open to win three majors in a row and like you know I think Shipnook's line is something like he went from like the best player in the world never to win a major the worst, the worst name you can have in golf to bothering the greats of the game you know, and obviously he did follow on with more majors and do Finished that, you know, six. but like, you know, w once you do, like if McElroy wins one, Joe, yeah, I can't see how he doesn't win four or five more or three or four more anyway, because I just think he's that good. Watching him on Sunday, like he, from places that you would consider trouble, he hits some of the best shots that are available in the game of golf, I think, yeah. you know, and I know sometimes the putter doesn't help him and sometimes he can be offline and so on, but like, He's just too good. I just can't see it not eventually happening in the same way as it did eventually happen with Mickelson, who we always knew was as good as he was. Yeah. But there's just mental blocks and there's things that stop you. And then a week, it just comes together. It'll just come together. I know, but I mean, they said the same about Greg Norman at Augusta. He'll absolutely win this. And a, a major winner elsewhere, he will win at Augusta. His game's too perfect for Augusta and then bang. You know, it's a mad game. I'd like someone like Nick Kyrgios, who would give you both good content yeah. and will be intriguing to follow around yeah. with. I, 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 yeah, a few nights out there. I'd say there you go. Like I'd love to go off Broadway and pick someone like you know way down and get something really interesting and yeah. find some compelling character. But if I'm going for someone big and you want to go McElroy yeah. direction, Nick Kyrgios for me. Doctor O'D. Uh, I don't know if I think I don't like traveling too much <laughs> relentlessly. <laughs> Again, way too into the <laughs> practicalities of this. Like I don't want to be always in there, like yeah, that's, in an airport. Know. You know, I hear you. I don't know. Is there anyone in the like Dublin area that you'd hang out with for a year? <laughs> <laughs> Me? Know. Do you want to go write my book? <laughs> <laughs> don't interrupt your life. He, just, he doesn't go, go too your, far. Go write your book. Do your eulogy. Killian Castle is as far as Joe goes. <laughs> Pretty boring life, <laughs> you know. Want. I'd say that'd do well. <laughs> Not he's already through. writing your. You're already writing his eulogy, yeah. so you can Read write the story. His, uh, book Have you started there. my eulogy? No, I'm more afraid than you. <laughs> yes. um, I don't know. Like I, 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 yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, if you're thinking about those kinds of books that I've read, I, like the one of the best books I read was by John McPhee. It's called A Sense of Where You Are, and it's about Bill Bradley. So he eventually went on, I think, to play with the Knicks, won a few things, and then became a senator or something, kind of a fairly respected politician. But he was came through Princeton, which would have been fairly unusual, obviously, for a top NBA star, even though it was probably the 60s. It was still for NBA star to come through the Ivy League. was pretty unusual. And, and McPhee's father happened to be... He was definitely, I think, the physician for the US Olympic team who was based out of Princeton. So that's where I think they were. And he basically alerted him, you come down and watch this guy. And he basically spent a year with Bradley as he's on. As you're saying, like it's a different sort of cusp, but he's on the cusp of just going you know supernova or whatever and it's um, oh, it's an amazing book Okay, and it's, it's so different for the fact that I suppose he's dealing with this guy who's an elite sportsman but also this guy who's just an elite mind what's like, it called again? A Sense of Where You Are it's incredible uh, Hi Joe Dr. O.D. and co how many downloads you up to? I haven't checked I haven't checked this week <laughs> please you're hitting refresh on that <laughs> non-stop I enjoy a slight tangent <laughs> full stop uh, <laughs> quick question I know Joe dislikes listening to fan calling shows however I would be interested to know if OTB ever considered starting a fan call in hour where a fan would phone in and give their opinion on XYZ when you look at the success of TalkSport it may be something OTB could consider to allow you to grow your listenership says James <laughs> or reduce our listenership oh Ireland's too small a market you're not a fan Will no I'm fine with it right I actually kind of enjoy fan phone-ins and particularly when say one of the English teams have a really bad result in the Champions League it's a guilty pleasure of mine to flick on talk uh, sport that's and a one-off no no, no what we're like, talking about here is Robbie Savage and Chris Sutton week in week, week out, out four times a day being screamed at by some lad from Wales I think the Irish market <laughs> I think the Irish market is too small 
Like you'd end up with the same people on too often. We used to have one. You remind me of this. Extra time. Extra sports time. fans phone in show after Here's uh, this weekend show. This was around this is so when I started oh, seven, 2007, oh so I probably started around oh six. Yeah. Went till about oh eight, oh nine. It was like the last hour of six to seven. And uh when I was a a cub uh <laughs> reporter, as they call it or whatever, I was basically like you know, early freelance kind of work experience more so than anything else, and then stuck for a producer. <laughs> I don't know if people should say this, but like I was basically producing that show before I knew what I was doing in this business. <laughs> and uh, Ushin Langa was presenting it, doing a great job. So he oh, was yeah. he was holding it together. Yeah, and I was getting getting callers on the line and subjects and stuff like that. And and was it any subjects you fancy? Huh? Was it anything? Anything you want, yeah, about the weekend or whatever, yeah. So come on, like if I, I'm your, I'm the, I'm your, uh, your gateway, right? So uh, you know, convince me it's interesting enough as <laughs> slash ring in because we didn't have that many callers, and uh, <laughs> you're probably getting on. And uh, yeah, it was an interesting thing to work on when you were learning on the job a little bit, and uh, we don't do it anymore. We we tried a few. Twi- <laughs> we were. <laughs> <laughs> We tried a few Twitter Spaces things. Ah, oh, the Armagh fan. Yeah, I did one or two of them. Yeah, yeah. I did the GA one, and this guy came on from Armagh, who, by his own admission, had a few Guinness on the way back after the yeah. game, and was just talking about dropping bombs during the entire Twitter Space, and they went viral because a lot of people taped it. And yeah, had the you know, yeah, I yeah. I did two of them, and I have to say I enjoyed them. Mm. But there was an element that, like, you have to have someone that you can just do a normal piece with. So if the callers are brutal or they're not there or they're a bit mad <laughs> that Ushin I can have? just turn to... That's <laughs> yeah. the problem. Poor Ushin didn't have anyone. Okay. And like, <laughs> you know... Gone, Mick? <laughs> you need uh, a safety uh, net. It was pre-my on-air days, thankfully. Um, but yeah, so you just you needed... like I think I was like Dottie Regan and uh, and uh, Sarah. Quinn Living and Sarah. You know, yeah, exactly. And it was like, it was easy ass because you can just, you're just talking about them yeah, again yeah. and then you're dropping people in and they do have a, they do have a bit of, uh, they do have a bit to add then. They change your subject for you and there's lots of things like that that what, are good. What would you do if like no one was phoning in? We'd have like kind of maybe like filler of like a couple of minutes of audio here and there or like okay. Premier League managers and different things like, you know, or maybe like some GEA audio but it wouldn't be like you wouldn't be wanting to play it like you know so you, you it was reliant on the callers now there was always good text and stuff into it that could get a bit lively but then you'd, you'd you maybe sometimes you might call up a texter and see if they wanted to expand on their point a little bit and sometimes they would and they'd be generally the best but most people if they text in didn't want to talk yeah uh so yeah it was a would, I, would you ever phone into a radio show in your time anyone no Has anyone here no, ever been no. on live line or anything no 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 <laughs> never been on live line I think I'd only ever oh. phone in if I wanted to be like Frank Lampard when he wanted to correct the record. When oh, yeah. That kind of thing. But yeah. It's weird. We work in Insta. We're not going to be ringing a radio station to come on anyway. But even, even before, even before you, were, you never had a time before. Oh, yeah. There's no, but there's no I'm, before media with Will. The rest, of us have a, the rest of us have a free media life. I was, <laughs> I was half thinking recently, I was listening to Liveline, and I was half thinking, I wonder would I ring in, ring in for the crack and see if anyone thought I was especially good. <laughs> no, Joe, no. He was an incredible caller. <laughs> would you come oh on to someone else, or would you be like Joe Malone? Ah, uh, just Joe. Yeah, Joe and Claire. Certain flair. <laughs> should go into broadcasting. <laughs> People in Dublin will remember the like. Uh, I'm sure it's still on, but uh, Adrian Kennedy slash Chris Barry. Those phone shows were yeah. just well. Adrian's doing a wild night. He's doing a podcast now. Yeah, but, but back in the day, it was wild. the whole point. It was yeah, just it was great. people, and you'd have similar enough people, and it was always <laughs> some, someone would ring, someone <laughs> would ring for there, and without a doubt, they'd they'd be saying something wild, and without a doubt, five minutes later, somebody'd be on the line, and they'd be like, "I know you." <laughs> 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 and if I ever see you do that, <laughs> great radio. It was great. Go see to it in school. Like it was like everybody would like that. Would you think they'd listen to that? Oh. Go to school the next morning. You know, first thing you talk about in school the next yeah. day. It was great. Barry phone show with Adrian Kendi. Yeah. One I would never. <laughs> I mean, for how many years was someone like. And another thing, Chris, it's Adrian! I've <laughs> <laughs> known for 10 years. <laughs> or when, Jer- yeah, when Jeremy was filling in, it would always be Adrian. I don't know if it's actually Jeremy tonight. Yes. But the one, the one that reached it out for me, because I was in school and we were listening to it. So it was after WrestleMania 17. They got a WWE writer onto the show. I don't know how they sourced this, but they got them to take a call. Did they? Yeah. Adrian. Did, did, did they? Asking a writer, maybe they were someone from Dublin, I don't know, um, why they turned Stone Cold into a baddie, which I just thought was such a weird conversation yeah. to have. It was surreal radio, but 
No, like finally maybe of its time. Place. Yeah, maybe of its time. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll bring it back. Lifeline's still pretty big, huh? Lifeline's still pretty big. Well, that's yeah. true. Yeah, <coughs> lunchtime life. Lunchtime life. Yeah, that is. We true. just haven't done. We haven't done enough to bomb in a while. Do you know what? Like, the, in fairness, like today, FM had one at the same time after Premier League. Was it Premier League live? Yeah, Premier League Saturday yeah. show. Yeah. Like, and that was always that always had lots of callers, and it was all football based. It was like you know, you a bit too much Liverpool and Manchester United you know, talk, like as always on Not these things, but. There's too many there's too many places to express your opinion now though. That's true. So back then a text into a radio station or a call was the way to express it. Now it's like, oh, I'll just tweet. Yeah. You wouldn't be going to say anything they read out my text. Yeah. Mm. You know? At six forty eight. Did you ever text into a radio show before you yes, were? Yes, I did, yeah. I used yeah. to text the Ray Darcy show a bit. Yeah. I used to text off the wall before I worked here sometimes. Did you? Yeah. That's kinda of sweet. <laughs> just the odd time, yeah. <laughs> Still legit. Uh, just to finish on this, by the way, somebody agree with you, Mick. Quite sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, gents. Long time, first time. I'm on the delayed Dublin to Hollyhead crossing, hence the 4 a.m. email. That oh is my commitment. God. Yeah. It's a very well written email for somebody up at 4 a.m. You can tell you weren't on the sauce here. Uh, watching what is generally the best era of content of my week, and I'm compelled to pen my first correspondence to the show. In short, I feel you, Mick. I'm a 35-year-old general sports fan like most of your listeners. I follow and enjoy most sports and will become invested in the Ashes, Wimbledon, the Crucible or whatever the flavour of the week may be. But two things in particular involuntary take hold of my emotions. The Irish rugby team and Rory McIlroy. And he talks about being to see Ireland at big days, Cardiff, Chicago, Twickenham, Tokyo 2019. I'm already braced for the heartache of a Paris quarterfinal in autumn. And then he talks about, he goes on a bit about that for a while. And then he talks about Rory. Don't get me started on Rory. Again, no connection whatsoever. Uh, didn't play golf growing up. Parents never played golf. No reason to be emotionally invested in this one guy. But boy, does a Rory near major miss leave me feeling sick. And I already know that if he can ever find a way to get hold of that green jacket, I'll do very well to hold it together. And in the meantime, each inevitable Sunday collapse is as gut-wrenching as the last. Anyway, maybe it's as wonderful as it is pathetic. Which is a great line. Isn't that what sport is all about after all? While I do sometimes question my sanity in the way that Mick did tonight, this is last week's show he's talking about, I also sometimes feel sorry for people who don't love sport. Mm. The anxiety and the build-up to the biggest moments and the biggest events is also an unbelievable thrill. And while I can recognise the irrelevance of it all in the co-light of day, I wouldn't change that emotional investment for the world. And neither should you, Mick. You'll note by now that I don't have a question. But please do keep up the stellar work on a slight tangent and off the ball in general. Masters of your craft. Best Richard in the Irish Sea. 4 Richard in the Irish Sea at 4am. Oh, so nice, that's the best email we've had. Because you know what? He summed it up so... Like, I was obviously like emotional a little bit last week. And, but that is... No, but on the, it is part of it though because you have those senses. And I remember actually, I think I tweeted after the Kilkenny game last year thinking like why do I do this to myself like as in watch sport why do I because it's nothing but misery but it isn't because the rest of the time there's so many times throughout the year and it could be a, as random as a penalty shootout on a Tuesday night yeah. between two teams you don't care about or it could be the thing that's the most important thing in the world the amount of times that I do actually feel sorry for people who aren't watching sport or don't have that in their lives yeah. that excitement and that unpredictability and well, everything yeah, like that and right. it's so and, 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 I, I really do buy that email yeah no it's a great email and I think you're right like there's no doubt that daily life is, is mundane for all of us you know and so to really punctuate that sport is one of the great things to follow and, and, and get on board with you don't write There's my no book after it, you, know? you don't write my book after I said my life is mundane do you that's alright we'll, we'll express that we'll explore it <laughs> <laughs> what's the title answer next week who will have we get think. to fix you Joe have it, have it th- yeah I don't know have a think next week what the title would be go okay. and <laughs> no early contender there <laughs> Monday I'll, think about it. I'll think about it yeah. we gotta go Joe okay we gotta go Will thank you very much Here's Michael thank you Arthur Adi thank you very much we'll be back potentially next week for another edition of Slight Tangent